Hello and welcome to The Shindig with Rubicon Heritage and Red River Archaeology. My name is Tanaya Jurgensen, and today Jonathan Miller and I are joined by Ken McElroy and Ian McLean from the Caithness Brock Project, which promotes, preserves, and ensures a lasting legacy for the archaeology of Caithness, and most especially, Brock's. So the Caithness Brock Project is an archaeological charity set up in 2013 by myself, Kenneth McElroy and Ian McLean um, as a means to promote the promote and develop the archaeology of Caithness where we're both from, which is the, the most northerly county in mainland Scotland. And we've decided to do this by a, a pretty epic construction project, uh, an experimental archaeological project, uh, we want to construct a replica broch. And for those who are perhaps unaware of what a broch is, a broch is a 2,000-year-old Iron Age monument, uh, essentially a dry stone tower, which is essentially unique to Scotland. And um, you find them all over the country, but more so in Caithness than anywhere else. And we're really proud of that. And we want to promote and develop that through the construction of a, of a replica broch. So um, no small beer, I don't think. So you say that they were built uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, what what were they used for? Hi, it's uh, Ian McLean here. They, what were they used for is one of the, the burning questions of broch archaeology, uh, because the truth is we're, we're not entirely sure. Although there's been about upwards of 50 excavations of broch structures, the, the question still remains unanswered as what were they used for. But at the moment, the, the overriding opinion of the academic community is that they were used as dwellings, basically. So although they have five metre thick walls and they're 11 metres high, which has led a lot of people to believe that they, they, they were defensive structures, uh, more recent excavations have shown uh, that it's more likely to be a homestead, a defended homestead at times, but a, a place where a, a farming republic, if you like, a community lived and worked. And, and how long were they in use for then? Were, were they ever adapted and reused through the ages or, or were they only present during one period of history? No, I mean, for sure, like most buildings, uh, they went through multiple phases of occupation. So they were, they were, Brock Towers were first built uh, about 100 BC and that building tradition continued till about 180. So there's a, a, a 200 year occupation phase but building phase and then after that phase a lot of them um, fell into disuse for a while but because they're such big structures and so prominent on the landscape it would appear that they they were targeted to be used again in different phases of occupation if you like Um, so the main Brock occupation phase lasted for 200 years but after that these subsequent occupation phases some of them were occupied up until about the 15th or 16th century I believe but maybe not underneath the same auspices, not always a house, if you like. So in some areas in the West Coast, uh, you've got these things called a wheelhouse, which is a, an aisled dwelling, um, circular, which they, ha- they are separated out into segments like spokes of a wheel around a central fireplace. 
and a lot of the, those were found inside broths. So, so once the broths had fell out of use, another group of people have come in and said, look, wait, let's use this massive structure uh, and redesigned it into their own uh, building tradition, if you like. So, yeah, it's a, it's a complex. Uh, the archaeology is not just let, let's dig and find everything that comes only from that age. You have uh, multiple layers of occupation and obviously multiple phases of occupation and multiple layers of archaeology to sift through before you get to the, the primary, primary floor deposits. It kind of depends on what your view, and sorry, this is going to get like real Broch Anoraki now, of what your kind of what your view of what a Broch is, because there's we all have this view of of, of Brochs as being these mighty stone towers. Um, you might have seen a, a picture of Musa Broch from Shetland, for instance, which is seen as like mm-hmm. the best example, and it certainly is the best surviving example of one of these structures. But they come in kind of myriad forms. Um, you know, the, these there's a kind of slow development over a thousands of years you know from roundhouse structures which would have been built certainly in the bronze age to more substantial stone built thick walled um broch like structures which we might kind of define as atlantic complex atlantic roundhouses essentially and they become more and more elaborate they become more kind of architecturally innovative and and, and complex as well and so it's, it's, it's difficult to define when the Brock age starts, but some people, you know, would say that Boo Brock in Orkney was one of the, the earliest Brocks, and that's between 800 and 600 BC. Crosskirk, however, is more, this is a Brock that was found in Caithness Crosskirk. It's a Brock that is more kind of, you know, co- complex in terms of its features, which we associate with Brocks, and that's about 400 BC. And then the likes of Garnis and Musa, we're, we're looking at the kind of the, the early stages of the, um, you know, the, the second millennium. So we're like a first millennium rather. So it's it's 100 AD, 200 AD. And, and from then on, they kind of start to fall out of use. But strangely enough, in the in the southern part of Scotland, this is kind of where there's a um, a high point for, for, for Brock building or, or structures which are a bit like Brock's. And then you also get Brock's, um, you know, which are more like Duns or Dunes. Um, which are a bit like brocks, but not quite like brocks. And then you get wheelhouses and then you get uh, wags and then you get. So it's it's difficult to kind of pin down when and what brocks are because they're, they are so they're similar, but they're different. I'm pretty sure there's a Muppet song based on that um, whole thing. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Um, so it's it's tricky to to really unravel um, the story of, of, of brocks and, and to kind of define them in a way that's totally fascinating because like i when i picture brocks brocks i'd be picturing yeah like say most of that sort of idea with the intramural staircases and things and one of the questions i was going to ask is you know is there can you see a, a development where get to that kind of stage where you've got these incredibly complicated structures but is there a kind of development process and you've literally just obviously answered that question straight from the get-go so that's brilliant like in terms of you know who was building them do we do we know like is it are they culturally like is is it a geographical thing or is it yeah i don't know like do we do we know anything more in terms of of that like who was actually building them and how did they we don't really have a name that's part of the problem of the of identifying a culture that associates with Brocks. It's easy to look at the Colosseum and say the Romans built that and, and to look at the pyramids and say the, the Egyptians built that. But when it comes to Brocks, although we have this iconic structure, 
we don't really have a cultural grip that we can attribute to that if we don't have a name for them. There's no point calling them the Caledonians um, because that's a single instance mention uh, of Roman history. And, and the, the Brock building predates that by up to 400 years. So I mean, that's as good as a, a nomen culture you could get for saying who built them. But what we talk about, we just call it the Brock Builders because there isn't really uh, an overarching cultural name to define who actually built them. We believe that that Brock building as a particular style of structure uh, began as a a northern phenomenon. And that's part of why we picked that as a a cultural icon for Caithness. We're we're building this to try and put Caithness on the map. And Caithness is a, a remote backwater, if you like, so back in the Iron Age, um, or back well in the past, there's this idea that, uh, in the modern time, sorry, it's the, there's this idea that Caithness is a remote backwater. But when you begin to look at uh, Brock distribution maps and, and how many Brocks there are in the north of Scotland, that doesn't tend to ring true. But it seems like there's something really special going on in the far north of Scotland during the, the ancient history, whereby the, the type of stone that we have here, Caithness stone, it's a famous stone worldwide, that uh, breaks into flat laminar pieces and, and makes for the, uh, absolutely perfect perfect uh, building material. And that could be a source of why, uh, and there's not so many trees up here as well, so that could be why they've opted, uh, whatever group is here at the time, has opted to choose to build their structures from stone as opposed to building them from wood. Uh, and over time, that has developed, possibly due to lack of wood as well, and became more and more sophisticated over time. So what it ends up doing is turning your idea of uh, the Iron Age on its head. Instead of Caithness being this remote backwater where nothing ever happens, it's actually the centre of a sophisticated building culture that's emanating out from the north of Scotland. It, it turns your idea of Britain on its head. I had actually heard that you know the, the technology that, that went into Stonehenge actually started most likely up in, in Orkney and the Shetlands possibly. So I, I do have a question about, you know, I know you guys work with more than just rocks, you work with cairns and standing stones and stone circles. So can you talk a little bit about the chronology of these different stone monuments? Yeah, well, uh, cairns first. Uh, I think we've got cairns as far back as the Mesolithic. Uh, I'm not sure Ken might be able to confirm that, right? but certainly cairns first, I would say. Um, and Orkney and Orkney, Shetland and Caithness are obviously famous for their uh, monumental sized cairns. So this is not just simply a pile of stones. This is a, a huge, heavy community effort to create uh, enormous monumental buildings that would take more than a family group, if you like. It, it must have taken some sort of societal organisation to begin with uh, in order to, to create such vast buildings, basically. Uh, and that's uh, in the Neolithic period. And then we've got standing stones, uh, which are individual stones that, that are set up. I think that's happening in the Neolithic. And then when we get onto stone circles, um, obviously Orkney, very famous for um, its stone circle at Ringer Brodgar and, and Stennis, and the recently excavated um, temple complex, if you like, at Ness of Brodgar, uh, where you're starting to see um, sophisticated architecture that must be the result of uh, communities coming together instead of working against each other. And then in the, the Bronze Age is a bit of a lull, I think, a, a bit of a dark period, really, the Bronze Age, uh, compared to what's going on in the Neolithic. Uh, it's it's not as heavy in the landscape. Uh, obviously, in Caithness and Orkney as well, the Neolithic is uh, quite ident- quite identifiable in the landscape. There's lots of cairns and standing stones you can see around everywhere. But the Bronze Age is a bit more ephemeral. It's a bit harder to find in the landscape. 
And then once you get up to Iron Age, um, obviously you have these huge broch monuments. Uh, you can't go anywhere in Caithness without stumbling along them. Sorry, I hope that answered your question. Clearly. No, that's super. Yeah. In terms of the, the like the for the Iron Age, when you've got these kind of structures that are seem to be kind of like the pinnacle of your the kind of complex Atlantic wheelhouse and those kind of things, like they're they're so complex in their nature and sort of architectural could there have been like a group of broch constructors that were like a company rather than sort of a, a, a civilization you know were they you know wh- whoever could afford to have one could commission them to come and build you know if you had the rock as well obviously you need the, the materials the stone like you say in terms of actual constructing it but could they have been uh, a, a specific small group of people that that had the ability to build these towers that could you know if you could afford it you could have one as a, a, a status symbol nobody ever wants to answer that question <laughs> it, I, I have no idea how you answer that question yeah. and it gets it, asked it, so it, does, very often. Yeah. it gets asked because um, it, it came up in a book once uh, uh, quite a popular book on Brox, uh, and for that reason it's become quite a popular theory but really there's no there's no way to answer that without saying we don't know uh, the archaeology will never be able to prove it uh, but it is an interesting theory that, um, that there's so much similarity in the structure of Brox. You could go to Shetland uh, and f- it's not just to do with the shape and plan and size. It's to do with individual architectural features. So you, you might find something in Shetland, like the shape of a well, and then come to Caithness and find the exact same shape of a well uh, down to the number of steps, uh, the depth of the well, everything. And you think, God, that looks like it came out some sort of Ikea playbook. You know, that there must be somebody that you that you couldn't arrive at such similarity without a similar de- design or some sort of scalar methodology being carried between the two places. Uh, and that is the, the kind of crux of that idea of the, the travelling stonemasons with the skill and the plans to, to build these structures. But there's no way that the archaeology is ever going to prove that outright, I don't think. Like it, I've seen quite a few of them have the like a kind of triangular stone above the lintel of the, the doorway as well. Is that it's not ubiquitous, but it'd be kind of common and you know, there's sort of stuff like that. Those kind of features. There's not enough of them to be able to say, "Oh, these yeah. were definitely the same yeah, hand." It's, it's just, it's, you know, there's so many variations as well. It's, it's logical conclusion as well. So if you look, if you study the pattern of the stonework above a triangle, um, it's called cor- corbeling, basically, where, where incrementally each course juts out next more than the next one beneath it. Uh, so if you remove the triangle lintel, this the stonework would be self-supporting anyway because of the, the nature of the way it's put together. So it's, it's like uh, the wheel could have been easily uh, invented in two different places in the world at once because it's a logical conclusion. And it, it may be the same thing with triangular lintels that uh, uh, skilled stone builders have worked out the limitations of their chosen uh, material uh, and then arrived at the same conclusion, um, which has produced similar results in different areas. I mean, nobody's mentioning aliens here. I mean, have we considered that at all, Ian? Is that one that we would ever... Aliens? Um, yeah. <laughs> if we ever get a little bit bored. Very contentious. Well, then uh, I'll, I'll ask a question you guys can't answer. Are, are you guys currently undertaking archaeological excavations? No, not at the moment. Uh, we, uh, we... It's tricky. Uh, I, I, I'd quite like to, and I'm a big believer in these kind of outreach activities and the benefits of which can be derived 
there off because uh, that was my the the focus of my my um, final year dissertation at, at university was the not only the economic benefits of archaeology but the, the social benefits as well and this was it pertained particularly to Keithness so all the the, the research was kind of um, with Keithnesians in mind they answered the the surveys and and the results were that they wanted to see more activities and events which we'd love to do but there is a kind of drain on our own kind of time and our resources uh, when we've got such a big project in mind anyway um, and it's just it's just an awful lot of work I mean if this if this wasn't big enough then to juggle it alongside um, archaeology uh, and even outreach sessions was it's really just a bit too much for us to to take on because we are we are a voluntary organization and, and some of us aren't even in Caithness anymore so it's quite difficult to um, organize and yeah rally, rally the troops around to to get them involved but fortunately um there are excavations going on in Caithness the Yarrow's Heritage Trust run a yearly excavation at Swartigal which is a broch like structure but not quite it's a a, the, a wag potentially but they're not too sure it's circular so you know <laughs> it could be anything really but there is again another kind of monumental iron age dig going on every year in Caithness and of course you know Orkney is not far away um, but you know may, maybe in the future maybe once we've, we've built this we'll, we'll be in a position to to do more broke research hands-on activities that's the kind of stuff that we we really enjoy. Hopefully. Yeah. So, so I guess like we've talked on this podcast, we've talked to a lot of uh, archaeologists who are kind of uh, excavating or or mapping or surveying time sensitive things, especially because of climate change. So, with glacial archaeology, uh, we've we've talked to the Cherish Project, who are kind of mapping promontory forts that are crumbling into the sea. So, is there an urgency to conserve and excavate? or excavate and conserve these rocks or are we are we feeling quite comfortable that they'll be there in the immediate future i'll answer this if you don't mind ian um just that i recently hosted a talk um with uh, david mccaughey who is a, a phd student at the, the university of sterling and his his actual study was on sand well to be fair it was sandstone structures uh, brochs. Um, so the broch of Borwick uh, was one of them, and he looked a little bit at um, Clack Tall. And yeah, not surprisingly, um, climate change has an effect on these structures. It does kind of weather them and, and decay them. Um, he, I think he needs to do a bit more research to kind of understand the 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 real effects essentially. But it certainly there was some recourse for um, conservation of these structures. And that's something that we've been involved in most recently as well. Our biggest project to date is actually the conservation of, of a Brock, Owsdale Brock, which was um, excavated in 1891. I wouldn't necessarily say that was, it, it could well be that climate change has had a hand in, in some of that. Uh, certainly the, ve- the vegetation, um, again, this is taken from David McCaughey's talk, is that, you know, we have kind of more humid summers and wetter winters, and this all leads to a kind of, well, drip effect essentially that 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 means that there's more water damage but there's also kind of more vegetation growth and damage as well at these structures and certainly at Owsdale Brock there's a ruddy great big tree growing out of it previously so that wasn't an original feature and that certainly shifted some of the stonework around the brock um I'm not sure if it really led to the collapse of the kind of main part of the brock which was a, a buttress created in 1891 at the excavation um, but certainly it didn't do the do, do the structure any favours but no we, we we certainly believe in 
conserving and protecting the past as much as possible. And you know, carrying out excavations is 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 great, especially rescue excavations too, because sometimes these things are lost forever, um, especially coastal sites. And there's a really great archaeological organisation called SCAPE, uh, Scotland's Coastal Archaeology and the Problem of Erosion. Um, I did quite well to remember that. Uh, they they do some wonderful stuff all around the, the coast of, of Scotland, and they've done some events with us where, where they've just gone they've gone and walked the coastline to record sites and monuments to see what the changes are in terms of erosion so they do great stuff and they've um, they've also excavated uh, or helped to excavate a broch up in Shetland Channerwick which was a brand new broch discovered in Shetland about six seven years ago so so absolutely archaeology is, is is key in recording and and understanding not only archaeology but the effects of, of climate change as well so we're we're all we're all on board with that especially uh, during COP26 of course. So you guys are, one of your goals is to create an archaeological trail for the Cape and the project so what would that trail look like? Would it be walkable, like an extended trek, because I understand Cape is very big, would it be with with re- refugios or um, hostels or, or would it be something that's more drivable? Yeah I think a, a trail maybe isn't the best word for it um, in the sense it may, sounds like a path uh, that leads from one archaeological site to another it's a true fact that Caithness actually has more archaeology in it than than Orkney does. It might not be as good as what Orkney has, but we have more numbered archaeological sites. Uh, so to to make that into a trail would be a bit like join the dot. I think you've walked the circumference of the earth by the time you'd been around it all. So the way that we're doing the archaeological trail is has been through a map that we've created, which was inspired by Lord of the Rings, if you like. It was a bit of a Tolkien-esque map of what Caithness uh, looked like. And we've populated that with brochs and castles and standing stones uh, and, and bits and bobs, basically all the villages and towns. And then on our new website that's going to be released shortly, I hope, uh, there's a digital version of that map. So basically this map is a leaflet that you can now pick up uh, in any establishment in Caithness. But on the back of it, there's a QR reader. And if you scan your phone across that, it links into a digital map that's on our website, which gives you uh, information and directions on how to get to each of these archaeological sites. So instead of it being a, a start to finish trail, if you like, it's more of a just a, a guidebook to all the archaeology of, of Caithness. That sounds fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. So when when people go out to these sites, are there any existing signage or is it just kind of... Uh... It's, it's very under-promoted. Uh, Caithness was, which is pretty cool in a, in a sense, that you, then you got this kind of feeling a bit like Indiana Jones where you're you're kind of discovering stuff yourself because you've had to jump over five fences and, and through fields full of cattle to get to it. And if it was anywhere else in Scotland, it would have had... Uh, a massive car park signage and tour buses all over it but in Caithness you get to have it all to yourself so but that's kind of what myself and Ken have been doing in the lead up uh, to, to Broch building if you like with, with smaller projects so we put signage and interpretation up to uh, to a few smaller sites uh, and slowly builders building ourselves up step by step to create a, a legacy of success in smaller projects so that funders would take us more seriously as uh, as we got closer to needing bigger amounts of money you know so that's what the the Caithness trail the archaeology trail was really all about for us it was just uh, smaller projects and smaller steps if you like i think was it this week or within the last fortnight that you'd got the signs for Ousdale Broch put yeah. up they look fantastic so yeah congratulations yeah. on that it's yeah. really brilliant 
and I, uh, some of your listeners might know that we're actually on the North Coast 500, which is uh, a popularised tourist route, uh, driving route round Caithness in the north of Scotland. Uh, so it was really crucial that we get these brown tourist signs up. I think a lot of people wanted to visit Ausdilbroch, but really struggled to find it. So without the infrastructure, these places are, are quite often passed right by. But I suppose that's what the argument really is, is it's a chicken before the egg. Do, do, we get the, do we put the infrastructure in first with no proven use case to these sites, uh, if they're actually interesting or not? Or do we, pr- do we try and put them on the map first? And then the infrastructure will come later on once the footfall has is kind of happening there. You know, that's brilliant. Fair play to you for putting the putting the effort in and, and um, making a difference with it. I think our 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 big boss, Colin Maloney, did the North Coast Five Hundred quite recently. He's based in Edinburgh, um, and yeah, he was posting photos from it. So yeah, it's very. And cool. He went Dowsdale today. I, do you know? I don't know. Actually, I'll need to ask. <laughs> we'll say we'll say he did. He'll tell him to go yeah, back yeah. and do it again. Yeah, do it again. You, you failed the North Coast Five Hundred, mate. <laughs> nice it, it's it's the first thing that you would basically see when you come into Caithness if you're heading north on that route is the sign yeah. for Ousdale. So we're we're really proud of the work, and that was a real collaborative team effort. Everybody getting involved with you know with uh, there's no way I could you know design plans for parking but I can you know write a little bit about interpretation or I can fundraise and Ian's there you know with us with a shovel uh directing volunteers and spreading gravel about the place and choosing the right kind of gravel and it's you know it has been a that that is a reflection I think of the of where we've where, where we've arrived because eight years ago myself and Ian were you know I worked in a call center um Who's going to take that seriously when they say, oh, I've got a great idea. Uh, I want to build a broch. You know, you really need to build yourself up um, in, in what, what's a small kind of sector. But once once you've kind of done a few projects, then, you, you know, you become quite well known in a, in a kind of short space of time. But we, we, we have taken our time with this um, and tried to develop things slowly and, and um, you know, build a crowd and build an audience and build our own understanding of, you know, project management and GDPR and accounting and all of these things that come with creating a, a charity, a business with a kind of unique, ambitious aim as well. So it's, I think Ousdale reflects that I think we're in a really good position to take on the next challenge. Well, I'd have to say, like, from a from a social media point of view, you're absolutely inspirational. You know, just seeing like a, a, a grassroots project that's very very community based going from like you say just small projects to having ambitious goals in the in the long term and just achieving them and you know you're the content that you put out is so entertaining i don't know i've I've been following you for for a while myself on instagram and i just it's just so funny like the the was it the world cup of brocks was that uh, i i yeah I i've got a great piece there. of advice for anyone listening Never do a World Cup of anything if you ever have the inclination. I worked it out because I was I, I I had a talk recently about community archaeology and I think I was talking about the kind of social media aspect of it and that's a you know hugely important part is to get our you know it's a cheap easy free essentially way of getting your and everybody's <laughs> on social media yeah apart <laughs> from my time and I look back now I thought well, that was really good fun and it got such you know, people really reacted well to it. But I worked out there's about 1,115 posts over the course of two months, which worked out about 20 posts a day. So, I mean, fortunately, I was a student, so I wasn't doing anything else, really. Um, so 
but it's hugely time consuming but you know you do you do I've had wonderful bits of feedback where people say you're you're one of the main reasons why I'm studying archaeology and that is so touching and you know people have yeah there's really there's even more poignant kind of things about about people and and what what the Brock project means to them or, or meant to people who have passed on and that's really amazing and and you know having the the, the social media aspect of that and the, and, the uh, and ensuring that people are informed and kind of entertained as you like as you might say it's um it is important to us and it's important that we we kind of because Caithness has never really arguably um made the most of its archaeology um I don't say that lightly either because I know other organizations have gone before us but we need you know you just need to look at Orkney to to see how you can actually manage a you know your your archaeological landscape your environment and so we think a big part of this is is through social media it's through making it archaeology accessible and making us approachable to a county which has never really properly engaged with its past in that kind of way and the reason for that is that it's never had to it's never had to because it's had for the last 60 to 70 years the nuclear power plant Dunry. And I think as an aside, this is an important point to make. And and it's very it's, re- it's lovely to hear, you know, such kind words about our project. And But it means so much to us, this project, because actually at the heart of it, at the crux of this, there is um, an important socioeconomic possible crisis coming towards Caithness. And that is the closure of Dunry, um, which has for, you know, well over half a century provided jobs and financial security and opportunity and employment for thousands of people. It's, it's important to realise that Caithness, prior to Dunry's arrival, was on a sliding scale of, of just pop, depopulation all the way from the 1850s right down to the 1950s. Uh, it was really low at one point. Dunry came along, essentially trebled the population of our hometown of Thurso from 3,000 to over 9,000. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a meme as well, by the way. Um, and it, 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 you know, it just it, it changed Caithness. It changed the entire landscape, the, the socio-economic landscape of Caithness. But that is now, Dunray is now being decommissioned. It will close down eventually, leaving you know very few jobs. Um, and that is, you know, possibly within the next twenty to twenty-five years. It's probably going to be longer. But that has led Highland Council to project. Um, Caithness to to um, lose up to or lose over twenty percent of its population, which is a an incre- a staggering loss of um, of your population. It's it's almost unheard of. So, with all of that in mind, myself and Ian thought, well, let's utilise what Caithness has, and it's got bags of archaeology. It's got great archaeology. It's got some of the best castles. You'll see in, in Scotland, it's got amazing cairns. It's got more brochs than anywhere else in Scotland. So, you know, it, it is terribly important to us, but we also think that, you know, Caithness can, can do so much better in terms of how it promotes itself. And you can do that in an in a engaging and accessible way through archaeology with social media. That was a no, no, that, no, it's, that's so good. So that's yeah, you're, you're an absolute ambassador and you're, you're a credit to the county. There's, there's no two ways about it. I think Ken's totally right. You know, uh, sometimes I think we can get lost in the whole we're going to build a broch thing and, and people forget, or even within the project, forget why we started this. We started this to try and put Caithness in the map uh, and it was nearly nearly 10 years ago now since we, we first kicked it off. And I know 
people look at us and say, you're crazy, you've been uh, talking about building a broth for 10 years, but you haven't built one. But in the end, that doesn't really matter because the, our, the crux of what we're trying to do is put Caithness on the map and make sure that we're recognised. And through what Ken's done on social media, we already have put Caithness on the map. People come here and they, they know what a broth is before they've even arrived. So we haven't built a broth at all, I know, and it might take us another 10 years, but we are getting our job done. Uh, we are uh, meeting the aims that we set out to do uh, uh, 10 years ago now, you know. You've, you've built a brock in the mind of every one of your fans. <laughs> I, I, I was honestly going to say, sort of like I built a brock in the hearts. Uh, that is, you could do social media. It's easy. You see, there we go. Apart from your big boss. <laughs> yeah, we need to make sure he goes back up Tuesday. And uh, we'll be sorry to get a photo of him there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> failed. Get him, get him to get a brock t-shirt and get a photo inside. Just prove that's it. Another, that's, that's actually the most important question I was going to ask you guys. Um, is there any plans to re-release the brock pin and the, the, the t-shirt? Like it's, I don't know, I'm asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, know, but... it's a bit of a pain because we've actually been working really hard behind the scenes. I know Ken does a good job of keeping the social media up to date, but with the rest of the team have been working really hard behind the scenes for the last two or three years on a bunch of projects that we can't really an, uh, announce uh, or we can say what we've been doing but we can't show you so we've been uh, redesigning a website and creating a, a 3D model of a broth for the last I don't know nearly two years now and it's just about to come out but basically all the work that we have been doing uh, is within that website so yeah, within so that is a new web shop and a whole a whole list of new new merchandise, including the old Brock pins and the Brock t-shirts that that, that were they weren't just cool t-shirts. That uh, Ken made quite a cool uh, show us where you are with your Brock t-shirt on. So we had all our Brock fans uh, taking their pictures around the world with the Brock t-shirt on, which is uh, Brocking all over the world basically. So so yeah, we've been really busy for the the past few years putting together everything that's going to be in this new website that we hope will on its big launch. We hope that we'll get a lot of donations from that, and we'll have a bit more money in the bag to put towards the next phases of rock construction. Finally, we'll really? be rich, Ian. It's only taken eight years. I mean, wait, no, it's not. It's all for the charity, not us. Yeah. Um, I did promise Ken I'd make him rich. <laughs> the, the, the other great. thing is, the other thing that we should maybe mention is that, that we have also been really busy on this website and the video and the merchandise and the kind of it's almost like a rebranding almost but it's it's also it's given us a time to well for the last two years as well we've been working to try and find a site for the broth for our ultimate aim that's been the thing that's really been taking up our time because again we are totally grassroots just me and Ian from Caithness and then a few other people kind of joined us but it's not like we've come from money or it's not like we've we owned a piece of land or that we you know, we had the kind of, you know, infrastructure in place to, to really make this an easy journey for us. The, the most important part of the project, perhaps in terms of the, the flagship project, the construction of a replica brock, is where it's going to be. And that's something we've been working on tirelessly for the last two years. I mean, seriously, it's been, you know, we, we, we'll essentially just drive around and go, oh, that looks, that looks pretty nice. That's fine. We'll go and speak we'll go and speak to the landowner and then find who the landowner is. And that's an absentee landlord. And then you try and speak to them and they're not interested. And then you go and speak to the farmer and they're not interested Or, But then you'll speak to someone else and they go, oh, I've got this land. And so you check that out. It's been that for, for, for two plus years. Um, and it's been a real slow slog a lot of the times actually, but we're, we're now on, at we're a stage. Site number 38 now, I think. We, we even had a site offered to us in Sutherland, which isn't even a Caithness. So, I mean, but we didn't. We, st- we stuck to our guns there and we thought, no, we can't do that to our fans. But we're now at a stage where we're, we are ref- refining that list and honing it down to just 
one or two, two or three sites. And they're, they're really generous offers, I would say, and interesting and very different. And so then begins the kind of process of balancing which, which one do we want. So, you know, it has been, you know, full days of us just spending the weekend trudging about a, an absolute sodden field somewhere going, can you imagine a rock being here and, you know, discussing the, where does the, where does the water lines, where does the power come from, all this kind of stuff. It's been that for two years. So, but it's the most important part of the project. I think really the, the success of the project probably hinges on where the rock is built. And, and I'd like to think that within the next six months, I'm not sure when this recording will go out, but um, hopefully by mid-2022, we'll have a site for the broch and then it becomes a bit real after that. That's so exciting. That's amazing news. For that, like, how do you, what are the kind of priorities? Like, how do you define what are the most important aspects? Is it proximity to raw materials or is mm -hmm. it proximity to people that are going to come and look at it? Because I'd imagine that must have been a factor when people yeah, built broch in the original to, to begin with, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, I'm the purist uh, of the team, I think. So for me, there is a quite a big team beyond myself and Ken, I, I think, um, I wouldn't say we're all pulling in different directions, but certainly all had uh, different priorities out of what we expect to get from a site. Um, but I would say I'm the purest in the group, so I always had authenticity at the top. I was standing there and trying to think like a, an Iron Age person going, where would an Iron Age person build a broch within this landscape? Well, it would be on a prominent location and it would be near to a source of water. Uh, and that all feeds into the, the future of the project. Once this built, once this is completed, uh, it will be a more convincing experience for the, pe the people that come to visit. But we also, so in Caithness, it's quite a built-up county in places. So to find somewhere like that is quite difficult. Uh, so you end up quite far away from the tourist centres, if you like. And then what happens then is you don't have such a strong economic case. And the funders are like, why aren't you building this right next to where the tourists are? So we've got to say to them, well, because it isn't going to look any good to build an Iron Age structure right next to an ice cream van and a bunch of, uh, or whatever, uh, what other, other modern architecture is there. So it's, it's been a... Just a ice cream vans everywhere in here. <laughs> 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 ice cream vans all over the place. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, There's a lot of caravans as well. And they have had various trouble with caravans. In yeah, that's, we've got a few site offices now, I think, but... So, yeah, it's been a, a difficult time weighing up all the different variables uh, that come into picking a site. I think for, you know, if you just thought about it, you think, oh, a couple of acres and a field would be fine. But uh, the more we've delved into this, the more we realise we need a lot more space than that uh, to expand into in the future, basically. Uh, you can't have a broch without... Uh, a means to charge people money to get into it so you need a secure building and you need uh, toilets and all the rest of it so there needs to be a whole new structure that goes along with this as well so we've had a lot to take into consideration beyond just enough space to build a circular tower can i ask and i and i hope i'm not offending you here besides being really cool what what would be the benefit of building a replica brock um, I mean, I think there's been a lot of excavation of brocks, uh, and even though there has been, we, we still have so many questions to that can that we can't answer through excavating anymore. Um, so I think a lot of it is to do with uh, like what the outcomes of that will be 
the, the, the organisation, the socio-economic organisation that needed to happen within an irony society in order to get this amount of materials and put them together. The lengths of time, the, the, the size of teams that needed to be built, the management structures of those teams to ensure that a, a complex building comes together according to plan. It's not just a bunch of guys who don't know what they're doing laying stones down. There needs to be somebody there going, I know how far that stone needs to be from here uh, following some kind of plan. So I think it'll be... Uh, the, the kind of human elements of it and that's that kind of sense that's what that's what we'll take out from this you know and the roof and the roof question yeah well, the big roof question that no one knows really how to answer that i mean what is the how, roof question oh what isn't the roof question some would say <laughs> um well yeah that's the that's the one whenever we do talks me and ian we often get asked you know do you think there was a roof what kind of roof and well there's only you know so many things we can say without you know, clutching at straws sometimes because we don't know because it doesn't it doesn't survive if we, we presume there was a roof, but we'll only really know what was the best way to to build it, how did they build it, what kind of works once we've you know once we actually go and try it, you know, it might take a couple of attempts, we'll find that oh this doesn't this it doesn't it lets water through or it blows over. So obviously it was different. You know, what if it didn't have a roof that changes the function of rocks completely. But um yeah, so so there's there's numerous kind of archaeological questions that hopefully the construction of this broch will not exactly answer definitely, but it'll give us maybe a better idea of of what their purpose was and and what they were used for. And just to provide a little bit of extra background to that for your listeners that haven't been to the north of Scotland, there's a severe lack of trees. It's a very uh, windswept and barren landscape. Uh, which has led people to suggest there was a lack of timber resources in the Iron Age for them to be building broch roofs out of. And that's arisen, that's how the, the roof question has arisen. It's, uh, where do you get the materials to build this roof when there's no trees? But like, would they not have needed wood for scaffolding and stuff? Or would the walls have been wide enough that you wouldn't need to have I scaffolding? Think, and are the I intramural th- staircases part of that? I think they're building the it standing on top of the wall, yeah. I mean, the walls are five metres thick, so it's uh, quite a big working platform, if you like. A lot of room. Uh, and with uh, wood being a scarce resource, uh, the idea of scaffolding an entire structure all the way around, we'd need to have copious amounts of wood in order to do that. So uh, for that reason, I think wood's a... Uh, uh, as a rare resource at the time, uh, which has been used sparingly. And that's why I think they were building the broch while standing on top of the, the wall they're actually building it from. That makes sense. Like, yeah. And just the actual, that factor potentially influencing the actual structure itself. You know, they're built like that because they kind of have to be because you're building it without wood. So you start out with a five metre wide wall and just kind of taper it gradually. Taper so, wall, yeah. you know, in terms of getting the, the yeah. materials up and stuff. But, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I have every every belief that I'll one day be walking around you guys, Brock, and marvelling at it. And I, I look forward to the day. It's um, it's very exciting. Yeah, really. it's it's been a long time coming. You know, I, I think we are the fourth group or the fourth people who have attempted to build a Brock uh, as far back as uh, I think it was Alexander Lang. Uh, who first mentioned that the, a broch should be rebuilt uh, as an archaeological, experimental archaeological project. And obviously he was one of the pioneers of Scottish archaeology. And then... Uh, Alex, as Alexander Rind, Ian, sorry to... What did I say uh, there? Alec Lang. Lang, sorry, yeah, Alexander. Yeah, I've got like Rind was from Wick as well. Rind Samuel was from Lang. Yeah. Rind was from Is that the Rind Lectures well. guy? Yep. Yeah. He died really young, uh, 33, but he's a kind of pioneer in terms of, um, well excavation and recording techniques 
he kind of started off in Brox and then kind of he made his name, if you like, in, in Egypt and e Egyptology. But he started off, I think it was Kettleburn Brock was one of his first mm. uh, excavations. I think he was also at Yarrow's Brock too. But yeah, he, he, he's he got a wonderful phrase where he sort of says that, uh, you know, and it would be like within everybody's interests, even with my own antiquarian predilections, is what he says, uh, that, you know, the construction of this Brock would serve everybody well, basically. So... So there was Alex, and that's, the, you know, about almost 150 years ago, um, there was the attempt by, uh, well, the Erwin Ar Campbell, who built it in the kind of mid-1990s, a kind of quarter section. AOC Archaeology back in Caithness again made an attempt to understand the structure of a brock by building a kind of smaller segment as well. But this is, this is the real deal. Uh, this is a full-scale replica brock which we hope to try and build as authentically as possible so that's the reason for a grassroots organization because it's not some phd uh, archaeological project where a group comes in and builds what they need to build gets their phd and leaves uh, we're, we're answerable as a as an organization to the to our local community so that's why we can afford to be doing this for 10 years and another 10 years from now until we've we've finished what we set out to do do you think when it's built people might be able to live in it as, you know, like sort of experimental, you know, part, like an ongoing part of the project, have like a kind of Brock inhabitation. No, uh, because uh, I mean, it'd be great to try all these kind of things, basically. It's, it's not going to be an empty, empty structure, if you like, where it's going to be a living, breathing Brock, but someone won't be able to stay the night there for, for health and safety reasons. But we'd plan to build a, a number of roundhouses to trial the different roofs on, uh, on a safe ground platform if you like so we've had plenty of practice building roundhouse roofs on the ground before we try and do it up in the air but uh, hopefully those roundhouses we can have some sort of we would look into looking at having some sort of uh, bespoke airbnb accommodation and that uh, that's not something we can definitely say we'd we would do but something we certainly looked at would be pretty cool so instead of people come to live in the broth they'd be able to stay overnight in a in an authentic bronze age roundhouse but uh, having that a fire cool. And the broch is going to be quite difficult given modern health and safety concerns. So people staying there overnight right, okay. is probably off the cards. I think myself and Ken ended up having a sleep over there one night just at the end of this night. But well, I was kind of meaning more you guys rather. Than, I wasn't meaning like for the public, but you know, like in terms of uh, you know when you see kind of I think in the Scottish Cranog Centre they had you know there would always be actors. I don't think yeah, necessarily so folk ever slept there, but that, that's definitely a part of it. It's it's not just a, a an empty shell of a structure. It's going to be a living and breathing broth. So there'll be somebody there dressed as an Iron Age person. There'll be workshops uh, where we're doing weaving on a loom, hopefully um, some metal working skills, basket weaving, all the types of things that the that would populate a broth inside, and all the items of furniture and all the rest of it. You know? Brilliant! Sounds amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, you guys. Um, where can we learn more? What's the website? What social media are you on? Uh, so we are on www.thebrockproject.co.uk. And you can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I haven't yet made the great leap to TikTok, but perhaps one day. I nearly said Tinder there. Imagine seeing a blog project <laughs> on Tinder. That would be. That's your new move. I think you crossed that bridge a while ago. Right? Well, yeah, there are. There's a lot of people who've been on Machu Picchu. So obviously, archaeology is in you know the public consciousness that's to some degree. So you might go gaga for Brock's on Tinder. I don't know. 
That would be so class if you had like Brock's matching with, with yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're definitely, you're, you're like the Dr. Dre of social media. Like no one knew how to take it to the next level until you guys went there. So we'll, we'll, we'll just watch for bated breath and look forward to it. Uh, Ken, Ian, thanks a million for having us on. This has been so wonderful talking to you guys. And we're very excited to see the Brock when it's built. Well, free visit for you guys. Yeah, uh, we've, got, you. we've got. Yeah, we're hoping that our website's out ready. Oh, I don't know. Maybe after Christmas, before Christmas. Don't know. But with that, we will have visuals of our Brock. And you know, when I thought about the Brock, you know, thinking about how we were going to charge people, whatever we we're going to charge people to come in and visit it, I couldn't really. I was like, oh, they're not going to pay that. As soon as you see it, as soon as you see the visuals, you're like, right, yeah, I get this now. I get why. Okay, yeah. Okay. Aye, so hopefully you, that'll <laughs> uh, hopefully that'll hook you in anyway. So yeah, that hopefully that'll be in the next couple of months. You'll see these and things will start flying. Maybe I'll find it on Tinder and match with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't I? I'm gonna do that. I am gonna like go into the Tinder just. Set the Brock project up. What a weird <laughs> thing that would be. Yeah. Well, you could do like, an account for each different Brock and then kind of like interact with them. With, I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait. Sadly, we do actually have a Facebook account for about ten different Brocks. Really? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, so so that you could say at I was still Brock, and it would be <clears> a tag, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Well, we'll so they could have like beef between each other as well. Yeah. <laughs> don't give them any ideas. <laughs> Yeah, they can poke each other. Can you still poke on yeah. Facebook? That was a thing. I don't think you can. Oh, that was sure. that was great fun. They'll move on to the metaverse now, I think. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. We're all tuned into Mark Zuckerberg's brain now, so there we go. It's going to be like a lawnmower man. <laughs>